Section 9 of History of Australia and New Zealand from 1696 to 1890. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Australia and New Zealand from 1696 to 1890 by Alexander and George Sutherland. South Australia. 1836-1841 1. Edward Gibbon Wakefield In 1829, a small book was published in London which attracted a great deal of attention, not only by reason of its charming style and the liveliness of its manner, but also on account of the complete originality of the ideas it contained it purported to be a letter written from sydney and described the annoyances to be endured by a man of taste and fortune if he emigrated to australia he could have no intellectual society he could not enjoy the pleasures of his library or of his picture gallery he could hope for none of the delights of easy retirement seeing that he had to go forth on his land and with his own hands labour for his daily food for said mr wakefield the author of this little book you cannot long have free servants in this country if a free man arrives in the colony though he may for a short time work for you as a servant yet he is sure to save a little money and as land is here so excessively cheap he soon becomes a landed proprietor he settles down on his farm and though he may have a year or two of heavy toil yet he is almost certain to become both happy and prosperous thus the colony is an excellent place for a poor man but it is a wretched abode for a man of means and of culture wakefield therefore proposed to found in australia another colony which should be better adapted to those who had fortunes sufficient to maintain them and yet desired to emigrate to a new country his scheme for effecting this purpose was to charge a high price for the land and so to prevent the poorer people from purchasing it the money received from the sale of land he proposed to employ in bringing out young men and women as servants and farm laborers for the service of the wealthier colonists now said wakefield on account of the immense natural resources of these colonies their splendid soil their magnificent pasture lands their vast wealth in minerals and their widespread forests of valuable timber which stand ready for the axe a gentleman possessed of only twenty thousand pounds will obtain as large an income from it as could be procured from one hundred thousand pounds in england yet he will be able to enjoy his learned and cultured leisure just as he does at home because all the work will be done for him by the servants he employs for three or four years this agreeable fallacy made quite a stir in england famous authors distinguished soldiers learned bishops were deceived by it noblemen members of parliament bankers and merchants all combined to applaud this novel and excellent idea of mr wakefield two south australian association in eighteen thirty one the first effort was made to give a practical turn to these theories and the southern shores of australia 
were selected as a suitable locality for the proposed colony a company was formed but when it applied to the british government for a charter which would have conceded the complete sovereignty of the whole southern region of australia lord goderich the secretary of state replied that it was asking a great deal too much and abruptly closed the negotiation two years later the south australian association was formed and as this company asked for nothing beyond the power to sell waste lands and apply the proceeds to assist immigration the british government gave its consent and an act was passed by the imperial parliament to give the association full power to found a colony this act directed that commissioners should be appointed to frame laws for the colony to establish courts and to nominate its officers land was to be thrown open for sale at not less than twelve shillings an acre and even this comparatively high price was to be raised after a short time to one pound per acre in order to keep the land in the hands of the wealthy it was expressly stated that no convict would be allowed to land in the new settlement which it was hoped would become in every respect a model community the british government declined to incur any expense in establishing or in maintaining the colony which was to be purely self-supporting eleven commissioners were appointed of whom colonel torrens was chairman in england and mr fisher the representative in australia where he was to take charge of the sale of lands and supervise the affairs of the colony at the same time captain hindmarsh was appointed governor and colonel light was sent out to survey the wastelands preparatory to their being offered for sale in may eighteen thirty five during the very month in which batman was wandering for the first time on the banks of the yarra these appointments for the foundation of a fourth australian colony were being published in the english government gazette thus victoria and south australia took their widely different origins at almost the same time but while the first actual settlers landed at port phillip towards the end of eighteen thirty five the pioneers of south australia did not reach that colony until the middle of eighteen thirty six three adelaide the first emigrants to south australia landed on kangaroo island of which flinders had given a most attractive account but though the place was beautifully wooded and of the most picturesque aspect it was found to be in many respects unsuitable for the foundation of a city and when colonel light shortly afterwards arrived with his staff of surveyors he at once decided to remove the settlement to st vincent's gulf here about six miles from the shores of the gulf he selected a broad plain between the sea and the pleasant hills of the mount lofty range and on the bank of a small stream which he called the torrens he marked out the lines of the infant city queen adelaide was the wife of the reigning king of england and as she was exceedingly popular the colonists with enthusiasm adopted her name for their capital a harbour was found seven miles distant from the city and on it a town was established to which the name port adelaide was given four governor hindmarsh 
in december eighteen thirty six governor hindmarsh landed and beneath a spreading gum tree near the beach he read his commission to a small audience of emigrants and officials but when he proceeded to examine what had been done he was filled with disgust and indignation the only landing-place for vessels was in the midst of a mangrove swamp at the mouth of a muddy little creek and all goods would have to be carried six or seven miles inland to the city to a sailor's eye it seemed the most reckless folly to make so unusual a choice and he at once determined to remove the settlement to encounter bay but neither colonel light nor mr fisher would permit any change to be made and a violent quarrel took place as resident commissioner mr fisher had powers equal to those of the governor and was thus enabled to prolong the contest of the settlers some sided with the governor others gave their support to the commissioner and the colony was quickly divided into two noisy factions after fourteen months of constant wrangling the english government interfered mr fisher was dismissed and governor hindmarsh recalled while the offices of both were conferred on colonel gawler who arrived in the colony during the year eighteen thirty eight five early failures the wakefield system could not possibly realize the hopeful anticipations which had been formed of it for the foundation of a new colony and the reclaiming of the lonely forest wilds are not to be accomplished by merely looking on at the exertions of hired servants ladies and gentlemen who had in england paid for land they had never seen were on their arrival greatly disgusted at the sight of the toils before them they had to pull their luggage through the dismal swamp for there were neither porters nor cabs in waiting they had to settle down in canvas tents on a grassy plain which was called a city but where a few painted boards here and there fastened to the trunks of gum trees were the only indications of streets then when they went out to see their estates and beheld great stretches of rude and unpromising wilderness when they considered how many years must pass away before there could possibly arise the terraces and gardens the orchards and grassy lawns which make an english country-house delightful their courage failed them and instead of going forth upon the land they clustered together in adelaide every one wished to settle down in the city and as it was expected that with the growth of population the value of town allotments would rapidly increase the idea became prevalent that to buy land in the city and keep it for sale in future years would be a profitable investment but there were so many who entertained the same astute design that when they all came to put it in practice there was little gain to any one and the only result was that adelaide was turned into a scene of reckless speculation and gambling in land six governor gawler meantime poorer emigrants were arriving in expectation of obtaining employment from their wealthier predecessors who had been able to pay the high price demanded for land 
they found that those whom they expected to be their employers had abandoned the idea of going out into the country to cultivate the soil there was therefore nothing for them to do they had no money with which to speculate in town allotments they had no land on which to commence farming for themselves and they were in a wretched plight provisions had rapidly increased in price so that flour rose from twenty pounds to eighty pounds per ton no food was being produced from the land and nothing whatever was being done to develop the resources of the colony whilst the money which the settlers had brought with them was rapidly being spent in importing shiploads of provisions from other countries in order to give employment to those of the settlers who were really destitute governor gawler commenced a series of government works he constructed a good road between adelaide and its port he formed wharves and reclaimed the unwholesome swamp he built a custom-house with warehouses and many other costly buildings the government house alone costing twenty thousand pounds now these were all in themselves very desirable things but it was difficult to see how they were to be paid for colonel gawler spent nearly the whole of his own private fortune in paying the wages of the unfortunate persons he employed but that could not long support so great a concourse of people he persuaded merchants in england to send out provisions and clothing for the famished people but the only means he had of paying for these goods was by drafts on the british treasury which were accepted at first as equivalent to money for it was believed that whenever they were presented in london payment would immediately be made by the british government but this was a serious mistake though the first series of drafts were paid readily enough yet when the authorities in england found that others for larger and larger amounts continued to pour in they refused to pay and reminded the colony that by the terms of its charter it was to be entirely self-supporting a series of drafts to the amount of sixty nine thousand pounds were therefore dishonoured and the merchants finding the drafts to be worth no more than so much paper demanded their money from the governor but he had nothing with which to pay and the colony had to be declared insolvent having debts to the amount of about four hundred thousand pounds which it could not meet seven the collapse matters were now in a very gloomy condition most of the colonists became anxious to return to england and therefore sought to sell their land but when nearly all wished to sell and scarcely any wished to buy the price went down to a trifle and men who had invested fortunes in town allotments realized no more than enough to pay their passage home in the meantime the english merchants declined to send out any further supplies and those who had not the means of leaving adelaide seemed in great danger of starving but as land could now be bought very cheaply many industrious people of the poorer class settled down to clear the country for farming this was what should have been done at the very beginning for no colony can be prosperous 
or look for anything but bankruptcy until it commences to produce grain or wool or minerals or some other commodity with which it can purchase from other lands the goods which they produce the lands of south australia are admirably adapted for the growth of wheat and after a time success attended the efforts of the farmers who thus laid the foundations of future prosperity another industry was also added about this time the young squatters of new south wales attracted by the high prices given for sheep in the early days of adelaide had been daring enough in spite of the blacks and of the toilsome journey to drive their flocks overland and the newcomers soon gave quite a wool-growing tone to the community these overlanders as they were called affected a bandit style of dress in their scarlet shirts and broad-brimmed hats their belts filled with pistols and their horses gaily caparisoned they caused a sensation in the streets in adelaide which rang all evening with their merriment and dissipation but as they brought about fifty thousand sheep into the colony during the course of only a year or so they were of essential benefit to it many of them settled down and taught the new arrivals how to manage flocks and prepare the wool and thus they assisted in raising adelaide from the state of despondency and distress into which it had sunk eight recall of governor gawler the british government eventually decided to lend the colony a sufficient sum of money to pay its debts but it was resolved to make certain changes the eleven commissioners were abolished captain george gray a young officer was appointed governor and one day in may eighteen forty one he walked into the government house at adelaide presented his commission to governor gawler and at once took the control of affairs into his own hands this summary mode of dismissing governor gawler must now be regarded as somewhat harsh for he had labored hard and spent his money freely in trying to benefit the colony and the mistakes which were made during his administration were not so much due to his incapacity as to the impracticable nature of the theory on which the colony had been founded in eighteen forty one he sailed for england deeply regretted by many who had experienced his kindness and generosity in their time of trouble end of section nine recording by linda johnson